Uh, hey everyone, for those who I haven't met before, my name's Rob, and it's really great to be here this morning and dive into this passage to, together and unpack this together. So let's pray first. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you that we can be here this morning to hear from your word. And we pray that you will guide us and lead us in the Holy Spirit, that you will open our eyes and our hearts to receive you, that you would move us and transform our hearts, Lord, and that we will glorify you and worship you as we unpack this, this passage together. Lead us in Jesus' name. Amen. So in the late 90s, Bonnie Brown, she's just come out of a divorce, unemployed. Uh, so she answered an ad for a job at a small uh, IT company of around 40 employees as a masseuse. So it's a masseuse position, so obviously it's not a glamorous job, it's not a high-paying job, but it did come with shares and stocks in the company. So as you would do, she went to a financial advisor to figure out what she should do with those shares. And the advisor at the time hadn't heard of the company before and didn't reckon that the company would mount up to much. So his recommendation to her was to sell the shares. But she ignored the advice, and it was a good thing because the company that she was working for was called Google. Now, by the time she had retired and resigned and cashed out her shares, she was rewarded with millions and millions of dollars. So Bonnie here was rewarded for her loyalty, rewarded for joining in on the ground floor of this company early on. And we love stories like this, don't we? We love the idea of getting in on the ground floor and then reaping the rewards of our foresight or our luck. Uh, I wish, you know, I'm sure most of us here wish we had bought Bitcoin when, it's, when it was trading at 50 cents or we'd bought that, that investment property in Wellington a decade ago. And this is where we've left off from last week's passage uh, with Jesus and the disciples. So together, should we have a, just have a quick look at the previous chapter, chapter 19, verses 27. So Peter here, uh, on behalf of the disciples, he asked Jesus, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? So the disciples here, they've, they've left family, they've left careers, they've left friends to follow Jesus. And they've joined this, movie, this movement early on, gone in on the ground floor, and they're hoping to reap the rewards for this. And just like Bonnie, they're wanting to be rewarded for being part of this journey early on. And then looking at 28 and 29, in verses 28 and 29, Jesus replies and says, yes. Yes, there will be rewards for his disciples. Yes, there will be rewards for those who leave friends and family to follow him. But then we look at this chapter, and Jesus tells a story. So let's have a look at chapter 20, and looking at the first verse. For the kingdom of heaven is like. So here we see that it is a parable, it's a story, uh, and it shows us what the kingdom of heaven is like. So this is what God's kingdom is like. So carrying on in verse 1. The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. So it's early in the morning, 6 a.m., beginning of the workday. The, mar- the master goes to the marketplace uh, to find workers. Then verse 2, it continues. 
he agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. So back then, a denarius is a normal day's wage for this kind of work. Here in New Zealand, be a little bit of a disconnect sometimes. I think in the 21st century, we have it pretty sweet. Uh, We have a benefit, we've got government assistance, we've got employment laws, sick leave, annual leave, minimum wages. Um, I'm sure there are people who are finding it financially tough in New Zealand, and I don't want to minimise that. But back in Jesus' time, there wasn't any social welfare, there's no benefit. And the workers here, they have to be paid at the end of the day to be able to feed themselves and to feed their families. And if you're in their shoes, you would feel pretty stoked. You've got work lined up for the day ahead. Uh, several years ago, uh, my wife, Joy, and I, we've just moved to Wellington. And uh, at the time, Joy had work lined up, uh, but I didn't. And it was tough looking for work, but I always had this reassurance that we still had money coming through for Joy's work. But then Joy became pregnant with Adeline, our first child. And I felt the pressure really mount. I felt I was up against the clock now, that I had to find work. And when I eventually found work at a call centre for Ministry of Social Development, it's not a fancy job. It was a hard job. It was a tough job. But I was relieved. I was stoked to be able to provide for my family. And it's the same here with these workers. Right? There's, there's an element of desperation here. That these workers, they need work. They have to work. They need They're living paycheck to paycheck. So let's continue in the story if we look at uh, the next couple of verses. So three hours later, the master goes back to the market to hire some more workers. And then verses five and six, the master goes back again at 3 p.m. and then 5 p.m. It's not normal to waste time going backwards and forwards, going to the marketplace. And also by 5 p.m., the workday's nearly over. Right? It's, there's one hour left. And, and when the master asked the workers uh, why they were idle, in verse 7, let's look at that together. They reply, because no one hired us. These workers here, they're not, they're not unemployed because they're lazy. They don't just turn up at 4.45 in the afternoon expecting to find work. These, these people have been here in the marketplace all day. These are the undesirable, the unwanted workers. And these are the workers, I imagine, to be like the, the boys who are too small to work or, or the one-handed worker, the, the old ladies or the men with bad backs who, who can't carry much. These are the workers that will be slow and, and ultimately there'll be a financial burden on the master. But... Now, hiring these workers isn't normal commercial practice. It's not normal today or back then. So we we'll look at verse 8. Then comes the end of the day. The master pays his workers. And, uh, and there's something unexpected happens. Let's have a look at verses 9 and 10 together. Let's read this together. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. What's going on here? And obviously, if you're the first worker, you know, if the first worker's here, are pretty annoyed. Right? If you see in verse 11 and 12, they feel cheated. 
these guys have been working 12 hours. And we're not talking about uh, a day, like a typical day we've been having lately in Wellington. We're not talking about 18 degrees with a nice cool sea breeze. We're talking about the middle of the hottest time of year in the Middle East. It'll be 30 plus degrees. It'll be hot. It'll be hard and physically demanding work. That's not fair. What's going on here? And that's what appears to be happening here in the story. That the story doesn't seem to be unravelling and unfolding as we expect it to. Whenever uh, we visit my wife Joy's uh, family's place after dinner, it's quite normal, uh, after the kids are down, they usually pull out a pack of cards and play a game. And one of their favourite games is Hearts. And uh, when I was learning the game for the first time, they were explaining the rules to me. And I'm more of a hands-on learner, so pretty much 80% of what they were telling me was going in one ear and out the other. <laughs> but anyway, I dived into the game anyway, and I sort of got the gist of what was going on. And, and by the end of the round, I thought I wasn't doing too bad. Yeah. And then I started counting the cards up, and you know, I was starting to get a decent amount of points. And I was like, yeah, not too bad for my first round. Yeah, I seem to be a bit of a natural at this, maybe. <laughs> Except the aim of the game was to get the least amount of points. <laughs> and I was in fact, I didn't realise, but I was in fact, I was losing horribly at this point. I came into this game with a clear expectation of how games are played. I was expecting the game to be that I get the most points and the player with the most points wins. But this game didn't play out as most games did and it didn't play out as I expected. And it's just unlike this in this story. The disciples, the early church, and us today, as we go into the story, we have expectations of how the world should work. We are expecting there to be a correlation between effort and reward. And we, we are expecting more work equals more in return. So we are utterly and totally blindsided by the master's response here. So let's look at his response together in verses 14 and 15. The master says, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? What, what does this passage mean? What is Jesus trying to tell his disciples and tell us? The real key to understanding this passage lies in verse 15. This, is, this really unlocks and understand, uh, helps us understand the master's response here and, and really understanding his motivation that's underpinning his actions throughout the story. So in verse 15, let's have a look at it together. Verse 15, the master says, Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? We see two things here. First, the master is generous, that God is generous. And his response here in this passage is a real glimpse, a little snapshot into how he operates and, how, uh, and why he makes the decisions that he does. So the master here, he isn't following best commercial practices. He isn't motivated by building the biggest business. Right? He's, he's not looking at maximizing profits 
or getting a, being the biggest vineyard in the Middle East, that's because it's generosity is, that's motivating his actions. It is generosity that's underpinning the master's uh, decisions and actions throughout this story. The point that Jesus is making here is that it's God's generosity, it's God's grace, it's undue favour. That's what drives his kingdom. That's what drives his decisions. That's what shapes his kingdom. It's not human effort. It's not our works. It's not our output. But it's his love and in his grace and his generosity. The second point that Jesus is making is it is the master who seeks out his workers. It is God that seeks out his people for his kingdom. The, the kingdom of God is not like a sports team. So if I want to join the All Blacks, you know, I'm, I'm not actually expecting to get a call from Ian Foster this afternoon. Right? He doesn't know who I am. He doesn't have my phone number. If I want to join the All Blacks, well, first thing, it's a bit late now, but if I want to join the All Blacks a decade ago, I, needed to, I need to impress him. I need to play a lot of rugby. I need to uh, practice a lot. And when he finally notices me playing rugby and he notices my skill and my talent and my strength and my speed, he'll give me a call and he'll say, Rob, you're good enough. You're good enough for the All Blacks and I want you on the team. But even then, even when I'm on the team, I still have to keep practicing. I've still got to keep performing when we're playing games because there's always that fear and that risk that I'll be dropped, that I'll be benched and I'll eventually be kicked off the team. And not, not every All Black, even how great they are, they don't stay on the team forever. They eventually, they're not good enough. But it's not the same in God's kingdom. We see here it's, it's the master that's, that sought out his workers here. And it's not because of their skill, it's not because of their talent. The master pays them here, no matter how much they've completed and how much they've done. And he doesn't fire them when they're not meeting a certain standard, you know, like, like being on the All Blacks. He, there isn't a fear of being benched in God's kingdom. And this is reinforced again in, in the previous passage. In chapter 19, verses 26, uh, Jesus here is responding to the disciples' question about who can enter the kingdom of God. And after hearing how hard it is for the rich person to enter, uh, Jesus, Jesus says this in verse 26. With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. This is really important to keep in mind as we unpack this parable together. Right? The kingdom of heaven is not like the world that we live in. Right? The workers in the parable, they have to be hired, they have to be selected and chosen by the master. So the people of God here, his people, are in his kingdom because of one, his generosity. And two, because God sought them out. And this is what the parable is telling us. That it's generosity and it's grace that shapes God's kingdom. So how are we to respond to that? Well, it's two things. It's a warning and also an encouragement. So firstly, this parable is a warning. It's a warning to be humble. It's a warning to know our place in the kingdom of God. So Jesus here is talking to the, to the disciples. So if we were to ever categorize any group of people, the so 6 a.m. workers, it will be the disciples here. 
right? The, these men, and we can see in Acts, these men go on to accomplish so much for the kingdom of God. These men sacrificed so much, and many of them ended up being tortured, imprisoned, and died for God's kingdom. Yet they are not even entitled to any extra reward. They're not even entitled to God's kingdom. Then what hope do we have? How, how can I compete with them? I mean, I'm going to accomplish a mere fraction of what these disciples did. I, I'm not a 6 a.m. worker. And at times we can take that worldly mindset that we have and believe that's how the kingdom of God should work. Right? We believe that there is a correlation between hard work and reward. But let's just take a second and just be honest with ourselves. Let's not kid ourselves, right? We're not, we're not the 6 a.m. workers. We're more like the 5 p.m. workers. We are the worker that's coming in at the end of the day. We're coming into the kingdom of God on the backs of the incredible work that God has used his men and women throughout history. And it's so easy to fall into that trap, isn't it? And believing that we're entitled to more. Maybe you're, you're serving at church and you're giving up a night or two during the week for church. You might feel entitled to being acknowledged for your hard work. Entitled for people to recognize all the work that you do behind the scenes. Or you might think that your hard work somehow secures you a place in God's kingdom because all that work you're doing for him in, in, at church. Or you might think that being a community group leader that somehow titles you to more respect or, or your theological education somehow entitles you to, to people listening to you or for a place in leadership in church. I think for myself, this is an area that I need to be aware of. That I've been given opportunities here to preach and to teach and to lead. But people in those situations, we need to check our own hearts. That, that we don't feel entitled to people's affirmation or praise. Or that somehow my serving somehow makes me a better Christian. Or somehow makes me like a first tier Christian in the kingdom of God. The fact is, we deserve nothing. We deserve nothing in the kingdom of God. But this passage is also an encouragement. It's a great encouragement to us. It's God. It's the master of the vineyard that comes to us. It is, it is God who has chosen us to work for him and to be part of his kingdom. Right? It's, the, it's the kingdom of God is not like a sports team. Right? I don't have to keep practicing. I don't have to keep performing to stay on the team. There's no fear of being benched here. That when I am in the kingdom of God, I stay in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is more like receiving an invite in the mail, an invitation to a banquet. One where you're there and being invited, not because of who you are, it's not because of what you've done or who you know. You're invited to the banquet because the master, the host, wants you there. He wants you there because of his generosity and his love. And this is such a, a, an encouragement, a great encouragement. 
that to those who are feeling lowly, who are feeling unworthy, who are maybe feeling like the 5 p.m. workers, who have so little to offer and so little to give. Maybe you're, you're a new Christian and you look at all the, the people at church who have been Christians all their life and you see all their knowledge and their understanding of the Bible they're all these big fancy words and, and they just seem like the perfect image of a Christian. And you're thinking, how can I compete with that? Or you might be just really busy. You're just really busy with work and with family and it's stressful and you have so little time and so little energy for God's kingdom. Or you might be just burdened and grappling with sin big sin in your life and you just feel weighed down by the guilt of it all here's an encouragement for you because God doesn't look at your works he doesn't look at how much you've done it's because no one can do enough no one has done enough to earn their place in God's kingdom if it's God who seeks us out at, his, at the marketplace. It is God who brought us into his kingdom and is out of his generosity and his love and his grace and his undue favor that has brought us to him so that we can be confident, not in our own works, but we can be confident because of what God has done for us. It's because it's God that seeks us out. You are in God's kingdom because God sought you out and wants you there. The last verse of this passage in, in verse 16. Let's have a look at it together. And this, this, passage, uh, this last verse really drives home uh, Jesus' point here. And this is the phrase we're seeing come up again and again uh, throughout the last couple of chapters in Matthew. Verse 16. So the last will be first and the first will be last. The kingdom of God, God's kingdom, right, is not like our world. It's an upside down kingdom. It's a counter kingdom. It's counter to how our world works. It's counter to what we expect, right? It's not human effort. It's not our output that shape and drives the kingdom of God. It is his grace, his love, his generosity that shapes and drives the kingdom of God. So what we have here is both a warning and uh, to be humble, to know our place in God's kingdom. But such an encouragement to know that it is God that has come to us and sought us out for his kingdom. Some of you here may feel like you're not yet part of God's kingdom. You feel like you're not yet working in his vineyard and that you're still in the marketplace and you're not a follower of God. It is not 6 p.m. yet. It's not the end of the workday. And I really encourage you, it's not the end of the workday. It's not too late to be a follower of God and to enter his kingdom. And if that's you, I really, I really encourage you to please, uh, you know, if you're still exploring, just make a note of that in your comment card. Or come and have a chat with myself or anyone on the staff team. Or if you came along with a friend today, have a chat with them. Because we would love for you to join the kingdom of God with us. But also God would love you to join his kingdom. To finish up, I, I want to leave you with these encouraging words from Paul in his letter to the Ephesians. So in chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 in Ephesians, Paul writes, 
You have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. It is generosity and grace that drives and shapes the kingdom of God. It's not our works. It's not our effort. So with that in mind, let us pray and give thanks for that. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy and your love and your compassion towards us, Lord, that we are so lowly, so sinful and, and broken, and we were lost, Lord. Yet you have found us and brought us into your kingdom, that you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us and rose again for us, Lord, so that we can be called children of God, be part of your kingdom. We pray for the rest of the day and for the week ahead that we, this, the, your words won't fall on deaf ears, but it will impact our hearts, that we will glorify you, we will worship you, and we will come to know you and love you more, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen.